1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103 and another oh so near and yet probably one of the most painful ones yet for England and their wait goes on to bring football home. They're going to have to at least wait 56 years. Italy seized the moment and the game last night to lift their second European uh, Championship. Trevor Welch, our soccer correspondent, uh, was watching the match and he joins me. Good morning to you Trevor. Good morning, Trish. Uh, I take it that the match won't go down in the annals of history as as a great game of football.
3: No, it wasn't really. Um, and, you know, when you're looking at it, England got the, the perfect start, uh, Trish, scoring after two minutes. Blue Sean, you said, uh, you were sitting back and you said, here we go, this is going to be a cracker. Italy will have to come out and uh, England so good on the break. You expected it to be that type of match, but it didn't really. Um, Italy came well into it, as we know, in the second half. England just stopped playing and will try to sit back and protect what they had. That's a dangerous game. And, um, you know, Italy have the know how uh, in major finals, which they've proved in the past. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of it, it's probably fair that it went to penalties. There wasn't much in it over the whole course of 120 minutes. But you knew when it went to penalties, England were going to lose again. You just knew it. The ultimate, the ultimate agony for England. And as you mentioned, you know, the way it goes on 55 years, football is not coming home. Um, You know, it was so much expected, Trish, that England were going to do it this time with this team, talented squad of players. It was the most watched TV event in UK history. More than 33 million tuned in last night in the UK to watch it. And, uh, you know, at the end of it again, uh, they came up short.
2: And what is it about penalties with the England team?
3: Yeah, well, last night, and I have to agree with Roy Keane, Trish, I mean... The more experienced players, leaving a 19-year-old, go up and take the fifth penalty. The all decisive penalty to get England back into it. And, uh, you know, sending a 19-year-old up, when there was experienced players on the pitch who won things like uh, Sterling from Man City, like Grealish, Shaw, Phillips, all much more experienced players than young Saka, I just felt for the young fella. Um, you know, huge pressure on his young shoulders. And, um, you know, they just, they just can't do it in the penalties. I don't know. It's this mental thing. Um, I just don't know, but they don't seem to be able to, to, to pull it off when they need it most of from Penalty kicks. They've lost so many important penalty kicks, mainly the big one in 1996, of course, when they lost in Wembley again in the semi-final of the Euros and Garrett Southgate himself missed the penalty. And it was, you know, Sad to see him consoling that 19-year-old last night. Uh, the Arsenal player um, Saka, after he missed the penalty, because he's going to live with that and uh, have
2: to live with and, that. And he it? also a lot of he also knows what's going to be ahead for that young fella from yeah. the the English public, the football yeah, fans.
3: Be, yeah, because in the past, uh, you know, the likes of um Philip Neville and you know Stuart Pearce and Stoke himself got a lot of abuse for missing penalties from fans down the years. And, uh, you know, it's totally unfair. I mean, anyone, the best players in the world, Chris, can miss a penalty. Uh, but, you know, they, they brought on it, it, with Sancho and Marcus Rashford of Manchester United laid on, uh, in the dying minutes, actually, specifically to take penalties and both of them missed because it was the first piece of action in the game. I thought that was unfair as well. You know, it was the first thing they had to do almost when they came on was to take a penalty in the, in the red hot or the white hot atmosphere of Wembley to win the European Championships I thought it was you know well, it wasn't fair I thought the senior player should have stepped up so hang on a while we're not leaving a 19 year old go up and take a penalty I'm going to take this one but no And um, that,
2: that decision was Gareth Southgate's was it? Would it have been his decision?
3: Yeah obviously they, they spoke about it um, you know after the, the extra time finished and said you know who fancies it probably um, and there is when the, the, the senior players should have put up their hand and said, Giles, take one. But obviously they didn't put up their hand to take one. Now obviously they would, have, they would have practiced penalties and they probably had, had, you know, the five penalty takers in mind. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that Saka would have been one of them, to be fair. I know Marcus Rashford is a good penalty taker. He was unlucky He's to keep it the wrong way and hit the side of the post. But, um, you know, I, I just think the senior players should have stepped up.
2: And then, as was uh, predicted, the, the racist abuse, racial abuse started almost immediately, uh, Trevor. I mean, as soon as the, it had finished, while I was waiting for, for, to watch the cup being presented, I was on Twitter. Couldn't believe, couldn't believe some of the comments that were coming in. And seemingly those three young lads on their own Inst- well, Instagram in particular, but their own social media pages just flooded with racial abuse. I mean, that's just shocking.
3: It's absolutely shocking, especially you know with with the players taking the knee for the past year, Black Lives Matter stuff, and you know it's I don't know what can be done about it. But your wafer for going to come under pressure to 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 try and you know stamp it out. But how do you do it? Like you know. Even, even with the penalties trished, um, you know, the Italian players were being booed when they couldn't take their penalties. Um, you know, and the, and the fans again raised their ugly heads, the English fans, when, when they charged a the gate and broke open a gate and got in. And when they got inside, they, they abused a, a number of fans in there, a group of English fans abused the other fans in there and took seats that were other people's seats that were paid for. I mean, it, that was disgraceful. So I don't think enough was made of that afterwards either, you know.
2: And I don't know if you watched what was happening in Leicester Square in London in the early afternoon. I mean, I saw I, witnessed, I saw scenes that were happening at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm thinking if that's happening at two o'clock and they're already starting drinking, what is it going to be like at eight o'clock? I mean, they were breaking up and wrecking their own city. Just didn't yeah. make any sense at all. And I yeah. know people will say it's a, that's a small minority of football supporters they're the scum they're the they're, they're hooligans. hooglums they, you know hooligans they, you know, but they ruin it don't they for everybody else
3: yeah they ruined it and we spoke on your show um, after the the Denmark win Trish and you know I experienced the first time myself as I, I was mentioning to you and that's why that's another big reason why you know it's hard for Irish fans We're supposed to cheer, cheer on England we witnessed the first hand in Lansdowne Road when that scum element that hooligan as you mentioned came to, to Dublin in 96 and wrecked the stadium tearing off seats throwing them onto the pitch Scaring young people, um, you know, from left to mark them from going to international football matches, and then in the World Cup in 1990, as I mentioned, you know, when we when we drew in England and in Calgary and Italy, I mean, I've seen them close up, you know, the Italian guards with dogs, um, you know, going off to the English fans, the Irish fans just singing, singing happily. The difference was was unbelievable, um, you know, between the two sets of supporters, and then you know, left a mark with me as so well. I always remember that, but I remember the Irish fans singing, "You'll never beat the Irish." And that was more than just on the pitch, you know, off the pitch.
2: Yeah, we can be so proud of our Irish fans. They might sing a bit loudly, (laughs) and they mightn't be the best singers in the world, but they're always—it's always in in good spirits.
3: Yeah, and it's just such a pity to see it, you know. Like the world's eyes were on it. What was the, you know, the TV audience worldwide that last night? You're talking billions, you know, and see that as you mentioned the pictures from Leicester Square there and many other places wrecking the place they can't just go out and you know and um have a party atmosphere like Ireland would like and you know just look forward to the match and have a great party atmosphere and all that's gone on this year with COVID as well you know you felt you know that just gonna enjoy this and it's um it's it's a big party atmosphere and that England with a big chance of ending 55 years of hurt uh but ultimately it went to Italy and uh you know you you, you can't um You can't uh, deny Italy their their place again. I mean, they were waiting themselves, Trish, since 1958 to Mm -hmm. win the Euros. Um, You know, but they they had won four World Cups, of course, and they're one of the the most successful nations, I suppose, when it comes to majors. And, um, you know, they deserved it in the end, I think. I think they just probably edged it. And, um, you know, the the, the manners afterwards, football's the coming Rome, as you probably saw it. um, they, they were just probably getting at the English there with the whole football coming home thing, yeah. but, but but Italy, you know, you know, they're they're a great nation for football. Um,
2: they, they love they were, their football.
3: They love their football, and from the start Trish I think the very first night when they won, they opened the Euros, they won three nil, and um, I think there were many people's who go all the way. And, uh, you know, they, they, they got it, they got it over the line and, and won in fair play to
2: them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, the, and also when all of those scenes that we witnessed both before the match and then, as you say, st- fans storming uh, Wembley. I mean, England are hoping to host the World Cup in 2030. I mean, those kind of scenes would completely go against them ever hosting an event again, wouldn't it?
3: yeah definitely you would have to you would have to think and you know this this euros i thought was like a, a road map for england to get through you know the, the easy run into the final not easy but the easier of of other nations we'd say and um, you know the final in wembley it was all going for them and then you know this this comes up then again and it's no surprise really you know and uh, i saw that you know, Gary Linek has got a bit of um, a bit of um, hassle today on social media saying that he should have made more of what happened with the English tuggery, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it will go against them, I think. Uh, definitely from hosting, you know, the major tournaments, the World Cup is in Qatar next year. Uh, England will be one of the favourites again. I mean, they're ranked four in the world. Um, they've won three of the three matches in the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, you just feel sorry for the players then when... when they're marked with the tuggery of their, their supporters you know it's, it's kind of not fair to players really
2: yeah yeah, absolutely and Ro- Roy Keane this, the biggest smile I got of the day was Roy Keane lifting the coffee or the teacups away so that it wouldn't get spilt after England scored the first goal what, what was that first? Sorry, did, 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 did you see Roy Keane um, when he was uh, he was in the ITV studios and when the other presenters jumped up in celebrations, you didn't see that, and he moved in. You ver- saw his two hands come in and he lifted. There was two cups of tea or coffee on the <laughs> studio desk, and he moved it. He said afterwards he did it because he was afraid his notes were going to get destroyed. <laughs> so kudos <laughs> to Roy. Yeah, Keane.
3: I, I, that <laughs> I was watching it. I watched it on BBC actually last night.
2: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. It was. It was. Yeah, it was actually on Twitter I saw. They were showing it afterwards. But anyway, yeah. uh, so, so I have to say, give kudos to him for that. Okay, listen, thank you for that, uh, Trevor, and thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. Good morning, Jade. That is uh, Trevor Welch, our uh, soccer correspondent. And uh, Philip by email says, um, Hi, Patricia. Um, I'd like to point out that it could have been a omen that the match was being played on St. Benedict's Day yesterday. St. Benedict being Italian and also the patron of Europe. Did that help the Italians with their win yesterday? Some of your thoughts coming in, Ger in Ahada says well done to Italy on winning last night. A lot of Irish people smiling around the world after that win but says Ger was sad to see in Belfast. Italian flags been burnt also part of an Irish flag. No need for politics in sport. Also very unfair on those young lads that took the penalties. They do not deserve the abuse. The racial abuse that they are getting online. Dan in Skibberine said soccer is no longer a sport it's now all about money and that's what's driving it. Every sport is going down the same way and Eileen on Bear Island said I think it's a whole media circus around the English team the media created a circus around them and that can lead to pressure on the team to perform. The expectations are so high and that leads to a challenge in performance that thug element has always been in English soccer it's not just suddenly after happening yesterday yeah and that's the point Trevor was making as well we have seen it sadly uh, down through the years and just one final one on the match from Dennis says Patricia uh, in combination with the racism that was observed yesterday with the English fans don't forget the levels of domestic violence and domestic abuse that would have occurred last night. The National Centre for Domestic Violence, the NCDV, says incidents of domestic violence increases 26% when England play and 38% if they lose. And I did see that on social media yesterday, that group, the NCDV, the National Centre for Domestic Violence in the UK. I saw them putting out pictures of, it was just of a woman's face and there was blood coming from her nose and her mouth. And it was formed in, you know, almost like the St George's uh, cross and they were giving. I was shocked by those stats that instances of domestic abuse increases by 26%, but if England loses, it goes up by 38%. So you can imagine the scenes that were witnessed in a lot of homes across England uh, yesterday and last night. Just a quick couple of WhatsApps in. Uh, Jim says, Hi Patricia, the English players and the manager seem okay but it's the media and the fans especially blowing them up and the arrogance of some of the English people in connection with this match. I heard a story of a Danish woman with her nine-year-old son after the semi-final defeat by England. They were on their way out of Wembley Stadium and the vile abuse her son got from the English fans because he had his little face painted in the Danish colours. The mother had to try her best to clean off the Danish flag from his face in order to avoid more abuse as they were trying to exit Wembley. Isn't that just shocking? The English fans will never change and it's hard for other countries to warm to them because of that. And it's unfortunate that everyone gets tired with that because it is a small minority of fans that do it but that is truly sh- shocking to a little nine year old uh, boy and uh, Michael says Patricia whatever about the football We cannot allow the morning to pass without congratulating Ivana Bapczyk on winning the by-election in Dublin South last Friday. Ivana is around a long time. She's gone a long way since her days at Clodove National School which has stood well to her. She's always been a powerhouse for women in politics and politics in general. She's a lawyer, a barrister, a law lecturer. Uh, She has it all and never changed her one little bit. Today at age 57 she goes into Dáil Éireann. She is threading on on her way, Michael feels to becoming the next most qualified person to follow Michael D. Higgins to the Auris in 2025. She has all of the qualifications and here and will fully support her. Watch this space. We wish her the very best of luck. She's well capable, says Michael, in uh, Castletown Bear. You're not the first person that I've heard mention Ivana Babchik as somebody who is very possible could be another really great female president. And we have a great track record with female presidents uh, in this uh, country. So, yeah, and even the one thing I did notice over the weekend with the amount of people congratulating Ivana Babchik across all of the political parties, even people who stood against her in that by-election everybody were, you know, everyone was congratulating her but there wasn't one person who had anything bad to say about her everybody who's at any sort of dealings with Ivana B- Babchik will say that she's just wonderful I mean she's superly talented I mean Michael is right highly educated and whenever she speaks she's got one of those voices that you can listen to and she sort of commands your attention and she always seems to make so much sense I think she's, she will make a fine uh, TD but Michael yeah watch this space she certainly would make a fine press of Ireland uh, too and good morning to you Michael and thank you for your uh, comments to the programme today OK going to take a break 18.50 333103 John Paul continues to take your calls
4: Court Today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie
2: Young drivers could be waiting up to 18 months for their driving test and in that time they could incur hundreds of euro in extra Car insurance payments. Joining me to discuss the downsides of delayed driving tests is Jonathan Hare, managing director of Cover in a ie. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the program. Now, Thank this you. seems very unfair because it isn't the young drivers' fault. Sure, it isn't that they can't access a driving test.
5: No, and that's a hundred percent the point that we've been trying to make. That uh, typically, I think it's around fifty percent, fifty-five percent pass rate. For learner permits to full license holders and for the last year and a half insurance companies um, have had a huge cohort of drivers where they're getting charged as learner permits but at least 55% of them would be on full license now which could mean a reduction in their premium of maybe 500 euros when they go to take out a policy but it's also for the people who are in the middle of a policy who may have taken one out as a learner permit which a lot of people still do and might pass your test halfway through the year, you might pass it earlier than that and you'll be getting a refund from your insurance company. So there's been no refunds issued to people for passing the test from insurers because um, no one's been able to sit the test. No, sorry, some essential workers have been getting tests uh, done. But in the main, uh, young drivers have not been able to get uh, the opportunity to get the lower premiums because um, they have nothing else to test.
2: And can it be as much as €500 between a learner permit and a full licence?
5: Absolutely it can be. It is.
2: That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And, um, OK, wh- what are the most up to date figures on the number of people who are currently waiting for a driving test? And how many of them would be, say, under 40? Now, I don't have the age breakdown for you, but approximately 120,000 people waiting for a test and approximately 90, say, approximately
5: 100,000 for uh, the theory test. So there's a knock on effect here as well of people who can't get onto the road at all because they're waiting for the theory test. So, the Minister has been talking about bringing in ex- extra testers to try and clear the backlog. And we welcome that, and we think it's great, and we hope they actually can clear it as quickly as they think they're going As they said they're going to, I don't think they will, but we can only hope that they, that, that they can get as many of these tests on as possible. Um, from our point of view, that while there is this delay, we think insurance companies should be doing something for the younger drivers because um, it is outside their control, at least 55% of them would have passed the test, but I am I am glad to say in one, one, one issue, though, that from speaking to the insurance companies, we have reached an agreement with four of our panel, and they're now giving discounts for people who have completed the 12 lessons. Okay. So there is sort of, the insurers have moved on that, and they're saying, you know, if you've completed the 12 lessons and you're waiting for your test, you do get a discount now for the 12 lessons. So advice to listeners is get your 12 lessons done as quickly as possible um Even if you 're going to be waiting or you believe you 're going to be waiting a period of time for your test and you 're hoping to get a car, get the lessons done as quickly as possible. You have to do them to pass your test anyway so by getting them done early, it means that you you know there is four insurers out there who are giving a discount for you passing that, and a lot of people aren 't aware of that.
2: Okay, and, and I know when you mentioned the theory test, we've had some horror stories, Jonathan, from some of our uh, listeners trying to either access a theory test themselves or a lot of parents contacting us trying to get a theory test uh, for their yeah. sons or daughters. I mean, the, the latest one was, you know, somebody here in Cork, uh, they got a theory test for the end of July in, in Mayo. They have, to, <laughs> they have to bring their 17-year-old son yeah. to Mayo for a nine o'clock appointment for a theory test.
5: Yeah, I was talking to someone last week from Dublin, gone to Carlo. Um, to Get it done last week, um, and I think what's happened is that there's a, a redirect. You can you can reschedule an appointment if your appointment's been put back for. So people who were applying in December, seventeen-year-olds um, typically, you know, or eighteen-year-olds applying in December, they were getting dates, and then those dates then were cancelled, and then they were cancelled again. So for a lot of people, they've been you know six, seven months waiting to sit it there is an, an opportunity to reschedule to a different centre and some people, because they need to get going yeah, and yeah. get driving, they're having to choose to go to Mayo or in the case from Dublin here, they went to Carlow to, to do it.
2: And we are hearing more being able to access it online though and that is the way to go for the theory test.
5: It, it definitely is. I mean, I've you know, even the apps that the Road Safety Authority have issued they're really good. I mean, you know, we've used them here in the office just to see how good we would be on them. And there is really good information on those apps and making you answer all the right questions and to do it. So look, the theory test is a great idea. Bringing it online is going to be a great idea. But I suppose the message from us for young drivers out there is if you're waiting for a test, go and get your 12 lessons done as quickly as possible. It will help you bring your premium down. And then when they've cleared the backlog, get the test, um, fast. And that's the way to, that is the only way of reducing your premium. You know, the way to reduce your premium is get the full licence, get your lessons done, um, get the experience. If, if possible, maybe if you're lucky enough, you might be able to get added to a parent's policy. Again, all of those things will help when you go to take out your own policy. That's not always possible. You know, sometimes it can be also very expensive.
2: OK, Joe said, didn't the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, recently say that the waiting time would be reduced to 15 weeks for driving tests? Do you not agree?
5: I think that the 15 weeks is optimistic will be the best way that I'm going to put that. Um I think it will be optimistic by the time we start to see all the theory tests come true. They're going to be added onto the list as well. Um, now, you know, so they, they, they will be added. They will have to do their lessons. There is a six-month wait to do before you match it. But I think between the past the, the 55% pass rate, people who go to do their test and don't pass it reapplying to it again, that all has to be factored in here. So, look, it would be brilliant if they can get it done um, and fair play to them if they do. I, I just think it's optimistic.
2: OK, OK. And just with this, and while we're talking about insurance uh, premiums, last week on the programme, we were talking about the cost of claims falling due to the Personal Injuries uh, Board and we had the Alliance of in- for Insurance Reform on the programme saying that their members are not seeing premiums falling. But I see you quoted in the paper uh, today, uh, you reckon they are falling?
5: I do, and that's that's private car insurance that we're referring to. Yeah. And I'm going to say a year ago, I said on record that car insurance will sort itself out because the insurance companies are making money on car insurance and competition will drive the price down. And I agree with the Alliance for Business Reform because the big issue is in the uh, commercial sector, uh, businesses paying for their insurance, the cost to businesses for their insurance. um, The personal injury awards should be helping it. I haven't seen this yet with the insurance companies where we start to see reduced premiums uh, for business insurance. But for car insurance, it has been sorting itself out. The new personal injury awards are going to sort it out even further. I do believe that there will be further reductions with some insurers. Um, but somebody needs to focus on the business insurance. We, we've always said that there's two things that have to be done. The, the personal injury awards needs to be sorted out, but there needed to be a mechanism at the point when we were sorting that out that the insurance companies were tied in to a, an agreement that if we do this for you, you need to be doing something for us. Um, and I don't think that second part was ever really worked out properly, as in to say to the insurance companies, we're going to fix the awards. You've been asking for the awards and fix. You've been looking for reduced awards. As a government and as a people, we're going to do that but how are you going to pass the reductions on to customers? I, I think that that should have been ironed out before um, the awards were reduced. Yeah,
2: for, yeah.
5: Particularly for business owners. Business owners are the ones now... I, I genuinely believe a lot of people, of course there's people who, who, whose prices have gone up, there's always going to be. Genuinely people who, with their current insurance, the majority of people will see a reduction on this year's premium versus last year's premium. And if you have not seen a reduction, and sorry, even if you have seen a reduction,
2: Shop, shop around. around. Yeah, yeah,
5: shop, yeah. Shop, shop, shop around is the best way of getting your price down. We We've had do so
2: many of our listeners save money, particularly this year, by just not accepting the premium that comes in Don't the, the inbox of their email or in through the post. Yeah,
5: But the official selling point is even if you do see a reduction on your premium from last year, that still might not be the best premium. So you paid 600 euros last year and you get it in for 550 this year and you think, oh great, I have a reduction here of 50 euros, that's not bad. Another insurance company might quote 400 euros for that. There is an an appetite with the insurance companies to write car insurance business. And the best way for insurance companies to write business is to reduce their premiums. And they are doing it. But, you know, you have to go out and find the one that's best for you. And I would recommend to everybody, use a broker. They will find you the best deal. Okay,
2: good advice, Jonathan. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you. Good morning, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Jonathan here from coverinaclick.ie. 1850 333 103. And we had some calls in this morning from listeners saying, could we find out, please, what was happening in Fomoy yesterday? There was an ambulance, a helicopter and Gardaí were everywhere. Tom was one of the listeners who was in uh, acquiring, well, I can tell you that the Gardaí and the emergency uh, services attended an incident. It was understood to be a medical emergency in the Church Hill area of Is about four. 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon actually I heard the helicopter go overhead uh, and I always sort of say a little prayer and bless myself when I hear the helicopter, it's like when you pass an ambulance it seems it was a woman in her 40s who required medical attention and she was airlifted to Cork University Hospital for further treatment and please God uh, she is OK and uh, will be on the road to recovery soon. 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103
6: Cork today on C103
4: with Sean Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: Now, a number of asylum seekers who have been living in McCroom's Riverside Park Hotel for the past two years have been given a week's notice, advising them that they are to be moved to the other end of the country. To find out how they've reacted to this news, I'm joined by Sheila Nidul of the McCroom Friends of Asylum Seekers. Good morning, to you, Sheila. Good morning. And, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, the good, the good news, because I mean, this is a good news story from the family's point of view. When they move, they've been currently and have been living for the last two years in a hotel room. And when they move, they go to their own apartments. So I imagine that's got to be really welcomed by the asylum seekers.
7: Well, Patricia, I think there, there's two things here. One is that um, the staff in the hotel here in McCroom have done huge work Uh, throughout uh, the last couple of years to uh, turn hotel rooms more into living spaces. So families have separate bedrooms and they've built cooking facilities and laundry facilities. But even aside from that, um, you know, as the families will tell you themselves, the home is a lot more than four walls. Um, And even if you get a nicer apartment or place to live, if it's not where your children go to school, where your family is, your community is, your friends, your job, then, you know, is it really worth it?
2: And the apartments are in Donegal? Yeah, Letterkenny, um,
7: which is literally probably the furthest you can get from Macroom.
2: And have the asylum seekers settled well in Macroom? Oh, it's
7: been fantastic. Anyone in town will tell you, like, from the very beginning, they've thrown themselves into the local community. They're involved in tidy towns and sports teams. And, you know, um, it's been a real sort of success story as regards integration. And I think the families are really, uh, they're really attached to the people here and to their lives here.
2: Did they know a move was on the
7: cards? No, out of the blue and they got a letter on Tuesday and they were given a week. Now that's been extended by another week, but in the beginning it was originally to be, they got a letter on Tuesday and they were leaving the following Tuesday.
2: And how many in total have been been moved? Uh, Five families. Five families, so you say families, children who are in school?
7: Yeah, everything from primary school age children up to, um, there's actually uh, an older uh, girl who's in her early twenties and is actually in college, so that's going to be um, that's going to be very difficult for her.
2: And have the department found schools, and, and and in that case, that young college student, have they found her a similar course? No,
7: no. When they arrive, they will be assigned uh, mainstream schools for the children and teenagers, like mainstream primary and secondary school. Um, but with the college course, and even there's a student in youth reach, they'll be responsible for essentially sorting themselves out. Um, And that particular family, like in Letterkenny, there is a youth reach and there were some options for them, but they've actually been told now in the last few days that they're going to be sent to Ballinamore in County Leitrim instead of Letterkenny, uh, which is really not very suitable for people with, you know, young people of that age it's going to be very difficult for them.
2: So they're not even all moving together they won't even have the support of each other? No, one
7: family has been uh, will be separated from the other four.
2: God, it's tough isn't it?
7: Yeah, I mean it's it just it beggars belief that someone is there signing bits of paper sending these people around the country like cattle without considering their feelings on the matter or their family needs um, and I think what bothers me the most is the lack of choice. So if you could sit down and say to a family, look, you can go to Letterkenny and you'll have probably a better apartment, but you have the choice. You can go to this better apartment or you can choose to stay here in Macroom. Um, You know, it's just that people get no no say whatsoever. They're just shipped off without any, uh, any recourse and any control over their lives and their own family's lives
2: and how many asylum seekers will remain in the riverside park hotel in McCroom? well this is the
7: the thing that i'm i'm not sure about um i imagine that the rooms being vacated will be filled by asylum seekers who are currently probably in dublin having recently arrived um and they will be moved down to McCroom, which again makes absolutely no sense to me because you know people who've just arrived maybe send them to letterkenny and let them
2: settle in there and get to know people and, you know... They have uh, to integrate. They let the integration begin there rather than in m- the But I'm right in saying that the Riverside Park Hotel, Sheila, was was only ever temporary emergency accommodation. Wasn't it when it first opened? Yeah, that was... Uh, two that years was ago. What,
7: two years ago. If it's going to be temporary accommodation, then make it temporary accommodation. Don't leave people there for two years to set up their lives and then rip them away from it. I mean, it's just... It's just the lack of humanity of it, I think. And are people
2: locally very upset about it, Tina?
7: Yeah, the locally, um, there's plenty of us, you know, who've developed close relationships and friendships with people through various things, you know, various community initiatives or schools. Or um, I know that the children of school-going age are very, very upset, and I imagine their friends are as well. Yeah, because you know they have
2: they have made little schoolmates, and and we all know we have school friends that we became friendly with in primary school, and you continue you know throughout your life as their friends, yeah. and, and suddenly they're being plucked away. And would have some found employment locally?
7: Yeah, um, after six months, um, some people qualify for the right to work, so there are people who are employed locally. I was speaking to someone who has a very valued employee who'll be one of the people who'll be. Uh, who'll
2: be leaving and so, as a very valued employee there's an employer who's losing a very yeah. good worker yeah okay if they're here to if they're if they've been living in macco for two years how far away are they from having their status sorted
7: well this is the the question that is sort of it's a bit of a mystery to me because the government re- released this report saying that they're going to be phasing out direct revision by 2024 and they're going to be speeding up Um, the times that people are waiting for their applications to be processed, but that doesn't seem to be happening. And I mean, you know, we've a centre in Mill Street as well, and I've spoken to people there who've been in direct provision for six, seven, eight, nine years.
2: Mm.
7: Uh, One would hope it won't be that long, but I'm, I'm sort of, maybe I'm a bit cynical, but I'm losing trust in the system that they're making all these promises, but they're still they're still moving people around like cattle. They're still not um, treating people with humanity. So I, I part of me feels like um, I just don't trust the system to well, do all these yeah. things they're promising.
2: I, I, know it feel, I know when you say it feels like they've been passed around like cattle. I mean, somebody somewhere in an office feels they're doing the right thing because on paper they're thinking these asylum seekers are living in a hotel room. Here we have these nice apartments. But it's just... It's it's the lack of of not of not talking with these with these people. You That's know, the thing. You know, yeah. okay, they are asylum seekers. They're human beings. They've got feelings. They've set. They definitely have set down roots in Macroom for sure.
7: Yeah, and they have appealed. Like some of the families have written to the department and said, "We got this letter saying we're moving. We really don't want to go. It'll be really bad for our children." And they have already received a response, essentially saying, "Sorry." they're going anyway. So it's not like the department aren't aware. Like these, these families have made their feelings known to the department about how devastating they think that the move will be for them.
2: And, and, and as always, if we contact the department, we'll just be told they don't comment on the movement of individual applicants or their families. All right. Uh, listen, Sheila, thank you for that. And thanks, uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Sheila Nidul of the McCroom Friends of Asylum Seekers. Tom in Bantry was on to say he was in Bantry Hospital yesterday. He wasn't there as a patient. He was there visiting uh, somebody and he said he, he rang us this morning to say, look, I was in the hospital yesterday and I have to say, he's, he said he's visited hospitals and facilities all around the world, not just here in this country, but all over the world. And he says Bantry General Hospital is as good as any that he's seen in any other country around the world. And he would just like us to give them a mention and public, publicly acknowledge them and say well done to all of the team that work in Bantry General Hospital so thank you thank you for that Tom thank, thank you for taking time out uh, to call us and John in Mitchellstown wants us to acknowledge the future of Cork hurling looking very bright let us not forget our hurlers who won the under 20 All-Ireland on Saturday night absolutely congratulations to each and every one and let's not forget the footballers they had a win over Limerick and their performance has taken uh, us into the fifth consecutive Munster final. So, well done to the footballers as well. And there was so much sport happening across the weekend, you'd be boggle-eyed uh, from it. I don't know if you took time out to watch the tennis. Wimbledon, the two, of the finals. I got the the ladies' final, um, Ashley Barty. I was so thrilled for her. The young Australian girl. What a fantastic win. And it was on the 50th anniversary of Yvonne Goolagong. And I'm of a generation that would re- remember Yvonne Goolagong uh, who was also from Australia and they both have Aboriginal they both have Aboriginal descent so there was something really special I think about Ash Barty's win on uh, Saturday and then of course Novak Djokovic huge fan of Novak Djokovic yesterday so t- two great games of tennis if you were watching them as well at the weekend so at the weekend we were spoiled for cho- choice when it came to a sport now the C103's smart speaker giveaway officially kicks off today and on every uh, program across the day parts, you've got a chance to win smart speakers. We have loads of these smart speakers to uh, give away. Brand new smart speakers. Today is uh, day one. We need you now to send us a text or a WhatsApp with your name and address, please, to 0862 103 103, And then just be near the phone that you have text or WhatsApped us from because one of our lucky listeners will be getting a call back. I'll have a quick chat with you on air. You need to remember the winning phase. When I bring you on air I will be asking you, have a bit of a chat and then I'll ask you what is the winning phase? What is the winning phrase? It's play C103. Because if you win one of these smart speakers that's the whole idea. I mean the smart speakers are great. They have a whole host of different information on them. Everything you can ask them about the weather, you can ask him about the news, you can ask them to tell you a joke lots of things they really are they're just a mine of information it's like having a talking encyclopaedia in your kitchen with you when you have one of these smart speakers but the one great advantage advantages to smart speakers is you can listen to the radio on your smart speaker and all you literally need to do is when you walk into the kitchen the sitting room the bedroom wherever you have your smart speaker installed all you need to do is say play C103 and boom C103 will come on so that is our winning phase play C103 so just remember that if you are the lucky listener who we will take on air. So get texting or WhatsApping now to be in with the chance of winning a smart speaker here on this programme. We're giving away the very first one and then we've got more of them to give away right across the day parts today and we'll do it all over again, again tomorrow and every day across this week. So get texting and WhatsApping on that please. The C103's smart speaker giveaway with done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Now, what else is coming into us? Oh, um, what's happening with the COVID digital certificates? Already getting some calls in on this uh, this morning. Now, we do know the cabinet ministers are meeting, well, they're meeting remotely uh, today and it's expected today that they'll sign off on the legislation that's been worked on and they've been finalised over the weekend. This is the legislation that is needed to allow for indoor dining and the plans will see the EU digital covert cert being used as almost like a vaccine pass to allow people who have been vaccinated or who have recovered from COVID-19 allowing people to dine indoors. Now, while a date has still not been set for when pubs and restaurants will open. That's also expected to be decided at the Cabinet meeting today. It'll likely be determined by how quickly the emergency legislation can be passed through the Dole and the Senate this week. Because remember the Dole is breaking up for summer recess. So whatever emergency legislation is needed to allow indoor dining to go ahead, then they've got to get that through because they they break for summer recess this week. And then obviously, once it gets passed through the door, it'll get signed off by the President, Michael D. Higgins. Indoor dining will be reopened then on a phased system where vaccinated and recovered people will be allowed indoors first. Hospitality staff will scan the QR code, which is contained on the search that you'll receive as part of your digital COVID uh, certificate. And then once your QR code scans to say, yes, this person has been vaccinated, or yes, this person has recovered in the last six months from COVID-19, then you will be allowed in. Now, as was was. Breaking news over the weekend, it is now expected that vaccinated parents will be able to bring their unvaccinated children with them when they're dining indoors. We had thought that that wasn't going to be the case and that caused huge complications. And problems for people who were saying, well, I can't go on holidays with my children then on a staycation, can I? Because I can't go into a restaurant and leave my children sit outside. And hospitality sources also expect now that tourists will be allowed to dine and drink indoors once they have proof of vaccination now. When we spoke about this last week, I said, "Well, it will be easy enough for the European tourists because they'll have their digital COVID search because that's an EU search." And obviously, people who are travelling over from, say, America or from the UK, once they can bring proof of their vaccination or their vaccination card, they should be okay as well. But certainly, the hospitality sector will be pleased to hear that they're not going to be turning tourists away when they want to dine indoors. The use of antigen testing that's going to be explored later. Uh, with this being handled by the government's working group on antigen testing because the hospitality sector were hoping that unvaccinated people would be able to do an antigen test instead and once that was negative they would be allowed in. So it's doesn't look like it's on the table for the cabinet meeting today, but certainly is going to be explored later. It's expected that the Gardaí may be called in where pubs and restaurants are reported to be breaking the new law, but they're not going to be doing spot checks. They'll only react if either they're getting information that somebody is breaking the new law, either a customer or if the restaurant owner or and that's the only time the Gardaí will get involved. Restaurant and pubs are also expected to have protection against legal action for refusing indoor dining to people without a vaccination cert and that's the reason that we have this legislation that they're, they're discussing that they need to get through the door before the summer recess. And meanwhile people who will not have received their EU travel certs in time for their departure uh, again this was a topic we discussed last week because we've got a listener who is booked to go is flying out of the country on the 19th of July and is wondering what happens if her digital cert hasn't arrived. The HSC are now saying that it looks like your vaccine cards, and we were told when we got our vaccine cards to make sure you hung on to it safely, laminate it if at all possible, but keep it, particularly if you're planning on travel, keep it with your, your passport because it seems that the HSC vaccine cards will be, can be used at the airport if your digital cert hasn't arrived in time. Well, that was according to the Minister for State, Ushin Smith, speaking at the weekend. The government will today begin sending out 2 million digital certs for fully vaccinated uh, people. And obviously, that's, they are the certs that will facilitate indoor international travel. But now we also know they're going to facilitate indoor uh, dining. They HSC say, or the government, this isn't really up to the HSC. this is the government really that's doing this. They are saying that there will be delays. They are already saying that the fact that they have to send out so many, so many are going by post, so many are going to go by email. They're saying, they're basically accepting that they're not going to be able to get all of them out in time for next uh, Monday. Sending out more than a million letters is going to be a big challenge now I know revenue are getting involved initially with posting out the letters on behalf of the Department of Health and over a million certs will be delivered through the post and then the rest will be issued by email it depends on what data the HSE has uh, available but certainly there is going to be some delays but for people who have already booked and people who are deciding to leave the country and are fearful that they won't have their cert on time, don't worry because it looks like it will. According to Oshin Smith, the junior minister, you will be able to use your vaccine cert. The cert that you were given when you got your vaccine you'll be able to use that instead. 1850 103 We were talking about car insurance in the last hour and a couple of people reacting on that saying hi Patricia my insurance for a private car fully comprehensive was over 700 euro last year this year my premium came in 513 euro and 65 cent still a lot of money uh, but at least it was cheaper nearly 200 euro cheaper that's a good good uh, saving well done that's from a For Moi listener proving that some premiums are coming in and they certainly there have been reductions on it and Sean in balance, when we were talking about the younger drivers and how unfair it is on them because they these are the learner, the ones on learner permits not their fault that they're still on a learner permit but they can't access a driving test because of the pandemic. Sean and Balling says, regarding extra testers for driving tests, there are thousands of professional bus and coach drivers out there currently not working who would be glad of some work and will be more than capable of conducting tests with a bit of induction. So I suggest that Minister for Transport, please engage with these people. Get proactive on this issue, says Sean from Balancholic. Do something. Get more testers out there and get those over 100,000 people who are test ready, ready to take their test and then add to that about 100,000 people who are trying to get theory tests to get onto the ladder of learning how to drive. 1850 and just a final one from Eamon by text best wishes, all at C103. Thank you for that Eamon, the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlin said on Friday, we have no control over the next stage of the Delta variant coming into this country. We know it's here and we know the numbers are going to rise in August and September. So, said Eamon, let's all get together, both north and south of the border, to defeat uh, COVID and let's do it for once and uh, for, for all. So, Eamon is looking for a united front. Thank you for that, Eamon, to 0862-103-103. C 103, 103. C-103 Jobs. Maria Goretti Nursing Home there in Kilmalach. They have household positions available and they also have a vacancy for a part-time qualified chef. A cleaner is wanted three to four days per week. It's for a busy family home, 10 minutes outside of Canturk. Qualified electricians are wanted. That's for long-term work in Cork City and a full-time machinist and an apprenticed cabinet maker, both required. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C-103.
4: Court today on C-103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now
2: businesses are being urged to look at the benefits of moving staff to a four-day working week without reducing their pay. To discuss the benefits, I'm joined by Joe O'Connor, who is chairperson of the four-day week Ireland campaign. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. And and you are welcome to the programme. Now, what do you see as the main gains for both employers and employees to have a four-day working week?
1: So this is something that's been trialled extensively in a number of different countries and companies in recent years with very, very positive results. Uh, There was a large-scale trial in Iceland, the largest ever held in the world, which reported its results in recent weeks and describes it as an overwhelming success. Uh, I suppose the big positive for for most of the companies that we work with here in Ireland who have already done this successfully and also uh, across the world is that they find that their staff are more motivated, they're better rested, they're more focused on their work, And not only are they able to maintain productivity over the the four days, the same as they did over five, in many, many examples, actually able to increase their productivity. And that's been the experience of the ICE group, 3D Issue, SEL Sales, and a number of of other countries here in Ireland. So in addition to the the obvious benefits for workers in terms of well-being, work-life balance, and so on, many many businesses are finding that. Changing the model of work away from this idea that you measure people based on how long they are in the office, how long they are at the desk, how long they are on the clock and moving towards a model which is very much focused on results, productivity and outcomes has delivered really, really good results for their businesses.
2: And and the key would be you you move from the, the standard 40 hours a week to I think it's between 35 and 36 hours, but there's no reduction in pay.
4: Yes, well, I
1: suppose there isn't a one-size-fits-all model. Some uh, companies have moved to a full pro-rata 32-hour, four-day week. Other companies have uh, reduced the working week, but not to the same extent, so they're working around 35 hours a week. But yes, it, it's really about this model that was developed in New Zealand initially by the company Perpetual Guardian, who introduced this in 2018. And it's this idea of one hundred eighty-one hundred, 100 so 100% of the pay, 80% of the time, but crucially, 100% of productivity. And a lot of the companies who've been able to deliver that 100% of the productivity, and as I said, in many cases, have actually been able to deliver greater productivity uh, under the new 4-day week model. It's really been about empowering and enabling staff to come up with the kinds of ideas, the kinds of solutions that can make this work in a way that's good, not just for the, the, the employees, but for the company itself. So we're talking about changes to the work practices over the course of the week reducing or minimizing activities that don't deliver as much value or productivity to the company. And, you know, So it can be little things such as cutting back on the length of time people spend in meetings, cutting back on, on time-wasting, uh, water-cooler conversations, making sure that if someone is working on a particularly important project that they're given the time and space to focus and to prioritize that. and And by changing the model and the way that they do their business away from this idea where it's very much focused on how long are you in the office, yeah. or how long are you at the desk, they've been able to deliver really, really positive results. So th- the thing about our pilot programme is we want to look at it and to see if those kind of results that we've seen individual companies achieving, can they be delivered on a much broader scale across many, many companies, across Irish society and, and the Irish economy.
2: Now, I suppose it is fair to say that a four-day working week won't work in every sector. I mean, the obvious ones are education and health.
1: Well, I think the first most important thing to say is is that we aren't talking about a one-size-fits-all model. So in the same way that the five-day, nine-to-five, is the standard work arrangement across the economy today, it's the most common work arrangement. It's certainly not the only work arrangement. And just like is the case today with the, with the five-day week, if we move towards the four-day week as the new default, there will still need to be different types of work arrangements, you know, offering different flexibility for different sectors, different employers, but also for different staff, because, you know, a four-day, nine-to-five won't necessarily work for everyone either. But what we do believe is that we do believe that some version of a shorter working week is achievable for all employees across the economy. I mean, if you consider the fact that since the early to mid-1980s, we have seen absolutely incredible advances in technology. We've seen absolutely incredible gains in terms of employee productivity brought about by globalisation, by the internet, by email. But yet, over the course of that time, we're still working, on average, the same length of time in the, in the average working week in most Western developed countries like Ireland as we were back in the early to mid-1980s. So what we're saying is, is that we think, as we emerge out of the COVID pandemic, with the lessons we've learnt in terms of how a different model and a different kind of work is deliverable and is achievable we think it's the right time to start this conversation about can we move towards a reduction of, of working hours across the economy
2: do you think the pandemic has really made us rethink and reevaluate how we work
1: i do i think that that even the idea that that i spoke about in terms of reimagining that different model of work which is focused much more on on results and on outcomes That might have seemed like a very radical idea back when we launched the campaign in 2019. But I think having had the remote working revolution, COVID experience, I think an awful lot of, not just workers, but employers' eyes have been opened to a different way of of, of measuring work. Uh, A lot of companies have been forced to to bring in different ways to look at productivity than maybe they would have done in, in in a situation where employees were in the office every day of the week. And I do think that that experience that people have had of maybe... Re- re-evaluating the balance between, you know, the five days that they spent in work or in the office and the, um, the other important things in life. I do think that that's made people look at this. And I do think that people think this is achievable. This is something that is realistic. It's something that has worked for an awful lot of firms internationally. And they look at their own business and they think that this is something that could potentially work there, too.
2: Yeah, and I think if you could, if anyone wants to read or find out more, I mean, there's a lot online about Iceland and uh, and how well their trial has, I mean, it's been deemed an overwhelming uh, success. And do we have some Irish businesses already successfully doing a pilot four-day week?
1: We do indeed. We're working closely with a number of, of businesses here in Ireland who have not just trialled a four-day working week, but have actually introduced it permanently for their staff. They're ranging from different sectors such as software development, sales, recruitment, and consultancy, we've got a solicitor's practice. Um, So what we're really saying to employers is that we're planning this, the first ever coordinated international trial of the 4-Day Working Week early next year. We're going to be uh, doing a major research uh, program on this through our, our partnership that we have in place with UCD and Boston College. We're going to be offering a package of supports to businesses who sign up to take part in the trial including a training program that's been been developed by companies who have done this already successfully, coaching supports, and also the ability to network and collaborate with other firms who are trialing this at the same time, share learnings, share experiences. So what we want to do is we want to make it as easy as possible for companies who are interested in experimenting with this, giving it a go for six months, seeing what the results are in terms of productivity, well-being, and so on, we want to make that that as easy as possible. So any company that's interested in this trial, if there's a firm in court that that's been thinking about this or is is interested to learn more. They can contact us on contact at fourdayweek.ie. We'd be happy to to talk them them through what's involved and how we can help them to, to make this trial a success.
2: And I know I was reading, I mean, the government has requested that research on the proposal uh, be carried out. But then I was reading a piece from the Minister for Public uh, enter, uh, Expenditure, Michael McGrath, when he was asked about reducing the working week for civil servants. And he says a move to a four-day working week would add at least €4.2 billion two billion euro to the public sector pay bill? Because he was making the point if you, if you gave people four days, we'd have to replace them with other workers.
1: Yeah, so the point that, that was made in that response, and I think in fairness, it was a response to a parliamentary question which oftentimes, you know, is, is, is not necessarily drafted or overseen by the Minister. It's a very similar response to one that was given by the previous Minister a number of years ago. And it makes an assumption that effectively if you reduce working time by 20%, that you also reduce productivity by 20%, and therefore you need to increase employment costs by 20%. And none of the evidence in Iceland, in Ireland, in the UK, in New Zealand, in America, or in any of the the sectors and companies where this has been trialled or introduced would suggest that that's actually the case in in, in reality. So we would hope to engage further with with the minister on this and the potential for public and civil service bodies to participate in this trial uh, we've already had some very productive engagements with the uh, Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, the and also the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan. Both of their departments, as you know, have um, contributed to create a research fund of €150,000 to assess the social, economic and uh, environmental implications of a four-day week in Ireland. I think that's a very positive acknowledgement by the government to say that, you know, we're not at the space yet where the government is saying, are changing their policy to try and push to move towards a four-day working week. We're not at that point yet. But what they are saying is, is that this is an idea that has shown enough positive results, that has gained enough traction internationally for it being something that really is worth taking a much, much closer look at. And I think that it's very positive that they've announced that research fund, and we'd be hopeful that the government will commit to, you know, if they're putting public money behind researching this, then the obvious thing is is that public and civil service bodies should in some way be involved in participating in the trial that takes place next year and not just 30 or 40 private companies who we've already been speaking with in recent weeks who've strongly indicated that they want to take part in the trial themselves.
2: OK, Michelle and Mallow says she's got friends who work in the UK uh, and many of them work a four-day day a week. They may work longer hours on Monday and Tuesday but they all have Fridays off. Their work-life balance is so much better. And somebody else says, I know of people who finish early on a Friday. They put in extra time during the week and they work a four-and-a-half day a week. It is working in other countries uh, as well. OK, we will watch this uh, very closely, uh, Joe. Uh, and listen, thank you for that. And just by the way, because we were I've been talking about you coming on the programme about two weeks ago we were hoping to talk to you, but unfortunately you became unwell uh, just as we were about to talk to you. You got COVID. I did indeed,
1: unfortunately, yes. Uh, my partner and I were, were away for a few days. Uh, we came back, we realised we were close contact and uh, we had a, a very difficult two weeks where we were, we were badly walloped with it. Uh, we were both just about to, uh, to get our first shot of vaccine uh. as well, which was unfortunate, so we had to, to put that off, but we're uh, we're back to uh, to full strength again, and hope, hopeful that we'll get uh, fully vaccinated before the month is out. So,
2: but it it knocked you sideways, did it, Joe?
1: Yeah, I mean, very very strong flu-like symptoms, heavy fever for four or five days. But really, the worst part of it was as you kind of came out of that, the tiredness and lack of energy was was way worse than I was expecting. You know, really really hung around for for the best part of two weeks, and um, so not an enjoyable experience. But. Uh, Hopefully, um, we're we're all as a society coming out the other side of it, and um, the uh, the vaccine program seems to be ramping up, which is very positive. And uh, hopefully, we'll we'll see the back of it before too long.
2: Yeah, please God. And obviously, the fact you've had it now does that put does that how does that affect you getting a vaccine?
1: Um, so you have to wait for four weeks after you first develop symptoms um, before you're you're uh, you're able to get the vaccine. Um, obviously, I think that that you have antibodies in your system from, from having got it, yeah, to protect yeah. you against the period of time. But certainly, the two of us intend to uh, get, get fully get. vaccinated as soon as, as soon as we're eligible to do so again.
2: Okay, nice. and
1: um, certainly would would hope that uh, that uh, people in you know we're in our mid thirties and that people in our age group and below would would get vaccinated in the next few weeks because it really is the the only way out of this. Uh,
2: and this you difficult know, listen, period we've all had. It's been fantastic to see in the younger age groups, even in the ones, uh, the over 18 to uh, 24 year olds, the amount of interest. So there's very little vaccine hesitancy in the younger age group in this country, which is terrific.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the figures in Ireland, you know, across all age groups are, are really, really impressive. Um, And I think it it bodes well, hopefully, for us bouncing back and and, and recovering from this um, as quickly as possible.
2: Okay, and then everybody just working four days a week. Keep keep it lit, Joe, and look after yourself. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thanks Patricia. Good morning, bye bye that is uh, Joe uh, O'Connor who is the chair of the four day week uh, Ireland uh, campaign which is also part of FORSA, the largest public service union. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862
4: 103 103. Court Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie
2: And Liam in Brough reacting to our interview on the four day working week and a proposal to try to introduce it in this country. Uh, Liam says if somebody worked two and a half days and then you hire another person to work the other two and a half days, it would suit everybody. Not everybody wants to work long hours. People with families might want to, want to cut back on their working hours. Well what you're suggesting uh, Liam is job sharing and that's already in a lot of companies operate, operate that where somebody will work two and a half days and somebody else does two and a half days or they do two days one day and three days the next week. That's job sharing. That works very successfully. What uh, Joe O'Connor and the group from the four day working week Ireland are doing is completely different. They want a four day working week right across uh, the country in all sectors. Thank you for your call to 1850-333-103. Now, I put the shout out for our C103 smart speaker giveaway and we got a huge reaction. Uh, We have selected our first uh, winner today. Uh, Alison Eaton is in Kinsale. Good morning to you, Alison. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you today? I'm very well, even better now talking to you. Is the sun (laughs) shining in Kinsale? It's in and out. It's cloudy, but the sun is trying to come out. It is, yeah. And you, you've heard the forecast for the rest of the week, have you? It's going to. It's I looking, have. Yeah. Mediterranean weather next weekend. Great, brilliant. <laughs> Kinsale will very much be the place to be. Okay, you you would like to win for yourself a smart speaker? I would love it. What is the winning phrase, please? That would be play C103. Hey, well done. Congratulations. You're actually our first winner. Uh, We're giving away the very first speaker and we've got more of these speakers to give away right across the day parts today and indeed every day this week. Do you have a smart speaker already? I don't. No, Okay. You'll have fun with this, I can tell you. And the one thing that we ask is that you, every morning, say to your smart speaker play C103. Oh, the, that would be the first thing I say in the morning. Yeah, you're very good. You're very kind. Listen, have a great day in Kinsale, Alison and congratulations. Thank you, Patricia. Bye-bye. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Alison Eaton in Kinsale. Our first winner of a C103 Smart uh, Speaker. Uh, C103 Smart Speaker giveaway with Deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Stay listening throughout the day. Nick will once again open the texts and the WhatsApp, sir asking you to register your interest in winning one of the C103 Sparks speakers and you could be the next winner with uh, Nick after one today. 1850 Now, last week we had some calls in from listeners asking if we could find out why petrol... And diesel prices have been rising, with one caller said it's been increasing month on month, he reckons, since the start of the year. Paddy Cummins of the AA, uh, Head of Communication at AA Ireland, joins me. Good morning you, Paddy. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Thank now, you. our listeners are not wrong. Even the Central Statistics Office are confirming fuel prices are on the up. But, but, but why and by how much?
8: Yeah, well, we'll you know, your listeners and you are, are very much correct. We have seen fuel prices increase steadily over the past few months. So, at the moment, the price, uh, the average price, is one hundred and forty six cents per liter for petrol, and diesel is now up at one hundred and thirty eight point seven cents per liter, and that's a point, 20 to twenty one point seven percent result or increase since June of last year. And, and really, it's, it's down to the price of crude oil, which is risen sharply in twenty twenty one on the back of I suppose recovery in global demand as as the world economy recovered. So we're now seeing the price of brown Crude Oil has risen um it's risen by forty seven percent, Patricia, which is a huge amount. And it's about the highest price in three years from which it was about fifty one dollars per barrel at the beginning of the year.
2: And we here in Ireland then, Paddy, have the added cost on Tax and VAT on every litre we purchase.
8: Well, you see, that's the that's the point. Now, obviously, the, the price of um, you know crude oil itself increasing is one thing, but when you add the tax onto it, that that becomes another matter. Now, currently, your listeners are paying about sixty four percent tax on the litre of petrol and about fifty nine percent tax on the litre of diesel. So that gives you an indication. It's pretty much two thirds on top of. The price of um of the fuel itself is taxed, so uh, you know it's a significant jump. So what you know what you're seeing is that when the price of the crude oil increases, it generally takes about two weeks before that filters down to you at your at your petrol pumps. So um you know that gives you an indication. So as these increase, it might not be another two weeks until you start seeing the prices being filtered down to the, to the customers.
2: Could the government help and giving us poor motorists a bit of a dig out by reducing some of those taxes on well, fuel? Well,
8: well like they, they could, of course, but um, but look, we're very much in um, a, a stage where you know I think it's pretty obvious that the government is hoping that we'll start we'll use our cars less and that we'll transition over to other technologies. Now we're seeing, I was only just looking there um, at the statistics for July so far on the sales of of new cars, and, and uh, um, uh, you know, for this month alone so far, uh, that you know, there's been quite a change. Petrol um, makes up 33% of new car sales, diesel 30% of new car sales, um, hybrid is now 17%, plug-in hybrid is now almost 10%, and electric vehicles, I suppose, which is the most significant, it's not a big number, but it's now up to 6.36%, which is pretty much double what it was July last year. Now, you know, your listeners might know July is the, I suppose, the second busy period in new car sales. So I think we're seeing a shift towards the new technology. Um, So I I don't see uh, any great change in the price of petrol or diesel. I think but what I would say is, uh, you know, and they are certainly calling on the government to make sure that any incentives they do put in place for people to transition over to the new technologies, you know, be it grants, etc., remain in place. Because I think the the motorists Already beleaguered with all the taxes that they pay, are now trying to do their part. And when people buy new cars, we can see it are shifting towards new technologies. So, look, you know, we we hope that if they do that, um, that they don't pull the rug out from under them and change the the the, the tactic later on.
2: And are they starting to come down in price? I mean, that was the one thing about electric cars. Everybody knows that they're better for the environment, but you know, you would hear from people that love an electric car, love a hybrid car, but they're so much more expensive.
8: Yeah, they are. It's like anything else, Patricia. I mean, you know, if you if you think about years ago when DVD players came out, they were a thousand euro, and That's then eventually true. you could you could get one in Tesco for nineteen euro. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it's economies of scale, and it'll be it'll be a case of the batteries. Um, you know, more battery production, the batteries becoming cheaper, and yeah, you, what you're seeing now is not necessarily a huge drop in the price of the cars, but you're getting more for your money now. So if you think of cars like you know, say the Volkswagen ID three, which um is is around the price of a nicely spec diesel Volkswagen Golf. I'm just using that example because it's a company I came from before but um, that now offers a lot more range. You get a bigger battery. You know, you're going to get you're going to have a car that'll do kind of 400 plus kilometers rather than 200 plus kilometers. So while while the prices aren't necessarily getting a whole lot cheaper, you're getting more for your money. Um and and also the thing is, is that nowadays people especially when they're buying cars are now look are, are buying through things like PCP, so they're looking at the monthly figure more so than the sticker price. you know so people are starting to see right this car is going to cost me 300 euro per month rather than um, you know looking at the sticker price plus there's with the EVs there's a dramatic decrease in, in the cost of running it, and mm. you know that goes back to our original point about petrol and diesel. you know if you're doing any sort of mileage, at the moment, you might be putting sixty, 70, 80 euro per week into your car? Uh, to get around the place, and we know that if you're charging an electric car and night rate electricity at home, it could be it could be about four quid to, char- to Huge charge. Huge difference,
2: and that has that, to be factored in when you're considering buying an electric car. Is over the lifetime of the car, how much you're going to save?
8: Yeah, because you know I, i've i've ran a I've ran uh, an electric car for six months previously, and um, I noticed four hundred euro of savings. But now I was doing reasonably significant mileage. But that was quite a quite a jump in savings from what I was putting into it. So um, these things have to be factored in. But, you know, look, you know, to come back to the original point, like the, the, the petrol and diesel prices are not they're not going down anytime soon. And, um, you know, while we wouldn't say to people, you know, it's, it's all doom and gloom, there is a ray of hope insofar as they, the new technologies are a little bit cheaper to run. They do a little bit better for the environment. Now, obviously, you have to look at the whole picture from well to wheel. Um, You know nothing's perfect in any of these, but um, but look, this is the way it's going. What we do hope is that the government, which they did in other countries, like there's an example in Denmark where they had all these incentives in place for people to buy them, then they decided they'd stop them, and suddenly overnight, no one bought them, and they had to backpedal and do it again. And we had the Green Party coming out recently, you know, saying that okay, they don't necessarily want you know that. You know, they were set as a target of a million electric vehicles on the road by 2030. Then they said, well, maybe that's not a great idea because we don't want all that many vehicles on the road. Now, that, that's the kind of messaging we don't need. We don't need people um, to be told, right, we all want you to buy electric vehicles, and then suddenly say, actually, we don't really think that's a great idea, and starting to pull the grants. That's mixed messaging, and it doesn't help anyone.
2: Oh, we saw what happened when they encouraged everybody to switch over to, over to diesel. Um, actually, Jim is asking that point, are we on track to have the almost one million vehicle, electric vehicles on a road by uh, 2030, yeah. as suggested by the government?
8: Yeah, well, look, I'd say to Jim, I don't think they actually realistically thought that was um, doable because, you know, I, I would have been in a car company before I was in AA and technically, I don't think it's possible you know, to get that number. But as a target, it's a good target to have um, you know, at the moment, as I said, you know, we're at 6% for July, for the first two weeks of July, or first 12 days of July for electric vehicles. That's that's quite a bit away from, um, from you know, a, a million electric vehicles. But I, what I think you will see, um, in answer to Jim's question, is you'll see a dramatic, uh, kind of almost like a hockey stick graph in the next couple of years, because um, because. You know the manufacturers have come out and said that they're going to stop production and um, stop production of new versions. That uh, they'll keep, you know, they'll keep uh, production of existing cars for quite a while. But they will stop in and around the kind of mid uh, point of of this decade and uh, to into twenty thirty. They just won't be making any. But I think it's, it's 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 you know it's electrified as well. So it doesn't have to be totally uh, electric vehicles. But you know. The other bigger questions are, you know when what you know are is our network going to cope? hopefully, yes, it will. um but I think if if people aren't changing their car to a full electric vehicle on their next cycle, I think, the cycle after that I think it'll, yeah. it'll almost be entirely electric
2: okay listen uh, Paddy thank you for that and before we go uh, Mary just said uh, hi uh, Patricia while you have Paddy on from the AA will you tell him I was sorry to hear that the AA Roadwatch were ending their radio reports it's something that was always broadcast and we grew up with it just to thank all of the crew for their valuable radio reports over the years that's from uh, Mary I know because that announcement was made last week okay Paddy listen thank you for that and thanks, thanks Patricia thanks Take for care. joining us good morning okay. to you that is uh, Paddy Common, who is head of communications at AA Ireland. You're listening
4: to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Can I just pick up on some issues that we were dealing with and some queries that we got in from listeners last week and we were waiting on responses from relevant uh, bodies, starting with we'd been contacted by parents uh, asking if refunds were being given for the unused part of the school transport ticket, specifically from January through to April of this year. School transport, parents whose children take the school bus would have bought the school the bus ticket you buy it for the year and then of course children came home from the school holidays at Christmas not realising that they wouldn't be going back until at least April of the following uh, year and we were wait, and parents are saying we heard that we were getting a refund but we not hearing anything about the refund and yet reminders are now going out from bus and to pay for the coming school year and people thought that's a bit of a cheek when I am waiting for a refund. So we got on to the Department of which department were we dealing with here? Department of Education. And this is what we got back. They say, the decision taken by the government not to reopen the schools on the 6th of January. Why? Well, they also have to put big long-winded answers anyway. Uh, the decision not to reopen the schools on the 6th of January followed by subsequent phased reopening was taken in the interest of protecting our pupils, their families, teachers and members of the wider community from COVID-19. OK, we know all that. Given that school transport services were not available for part of the twenty. 20, 2021 school year, it was decided that at the end of the school year, a refund for that period of closure will be issued to parents and guardians. Yes, the parents are telling us, they want to know where's their refunds, so we get to the answer. Bus Aaron, which operates the school transport scheme on behalf of the Department of Education, will shortly commence. Issuing refunds to families who are due to receive a refund for the unused portion of their ticket for the period of the school closures uh, arising from the COVID restrictions. Families will be contacted directly by Boss Aaron when the refund has been released. Okay, so Boss Aaron Department of Education passing it back to Bus Aeron Bus Aaron are working uh, on it at the same time the Bus Aaron are contacting families to say you need to pay for your bus ticket for next year even though those same people those same families are probably the ones entitled to the refund so hang in there uh, families will be contacted directly by Bus Aeron when your refund is due for release and hopefully that will be sooner rather than later and actually we've had to get back on to Bus Aaron. This morning, because John Paul says he's had a couple of calls, including one from Martha, one of our callers, to say that she's inputting details for the school transport onto the bus airing website. And when she puts in her medical card number, the page doesn't move on. And then she's getting charged because obviously if you've got a medical card, then you don't have to pay for your transport on the on the school bus and for some reason it seems to get stuck at the part where you put in your medical card number and Martha got on to see, to ask us, was anybody else having the same issue but I don't even even really need to mention that because John Paul said he's had a few calls and Martha wasn't the only one so we're getting on to bus air to see if they can clarify what's going on there. To me, it looks like it's uh, it's obviously some kind of a technical hitch on their site. So we'll see if we can get clarity on that. And then we also had a number of calls from people in the Mallow area who were concerned at a planning notice. Some eagle-eyed people had spotted a planning notice for the redevelopment of Mallow Swimming Pool. And on the planning notice, it states, the development of a new village-style communal dressing room, including new showers and lockers. And some of our callers were inquiring if there will still be individual men's and women's changing rooms at Mallow Swimming Pool and also if there were a group going for sporting purposes. I mean one mother in particular was saying her teenage daughter, for example, they go swimming in the school, but there's boys. It's a mixed school. And they were wondering if the class is going swimming. Imagine 14, 15 year old boys and girls. Some of the Boys and girls, very body conscious and wouldn't be too happy about changing in and out of their swimsuits in a communal room with their other classmates. And they were wondering and fearful with one mother saying it'll turn her daughter off going swimming if she thought she had to change in a communal dressing room with the other boys in uh, her class. Anyway, we got on to Cork County Council and they tell us there is currently an active Part A planning notice for the redevelopment and upgrade of Mallow Swimming Pool. These plans include the provision of a communal cubicle changing area and two separate rooms for group changing. Most modern facilities are now developed in a communal, cubicle, open plan style. But they do tell us that members of the public are invited to put forward a submission or an observation in relation to the proposed development. But you need to have it in by this Friday at four o'clock. Further information available at Cork County Council's uh, website, which is corkcoco.com. Dot ie. So let me look at that again. Most modern facilities are now developed in a communal cubicle, communal cubicle, open plan style. I've been in swimming pools around the world where they have these communal, where, you know, whole families are in there together, but there will be individual little cubicles if you're a bit conscious about dressing or undressing in front of other people. So do I take it from that or do I take it a communal Cubicle open plan style. Does that basically mean one big room where all the benches are down on the side and the lockers are there and everybody changes uh, together? Anyway, if you want to put in a submission and you are worried about it, get it in to have your say because there's no point complaining afterwards. You can have your say, but it has to be in by four o'clock this Friday at corkcoco.ie, and we will keep an eye on that. And if anything more breaks on that story, we will bring it to you. And the good people at Aurora that wonderful charity shop on St. Joseph's Road in uh, Mallow. They collect money for the Cork Mental Health. They do fantastic work but it's one of those great big charity shops where they sell everything from a needle to a haystack because it's a furniture shop they have vintage clothing they have jewellery, they have bric a brac it really is a fantastic uh, charity shop. They've been on to us because they're back open as indeed are all charity, charity shops and by all accounts charity shops have been very busy since retail reopened and I know certainly here just anecdotally on this programme when retail was closed and when we were in lockdown and when things were starting to reopen again we were forever getting calls in saying when are the charity shops going to reopen people really missed the charity shops great bargains to be had and I think there's a real plus when you go shopping in a charity shop you know that you know whatever there's charity shops for a whole you know St Vincent de Paul have their Vincent's shop National Council for the Blind uh, are there there's just lots and lots the Irish Cancer Society have wonderful charity shops charity shops all over the country and they do fantastic work and there's something nice about buying something knowing that somebody's going to benefit as well on the other side I think there's there's something great uh, about it anyway uh, Aurora have contacted us because they're back open they were closed obviously for lockdown and they are now looking for donations of clothes they're looking for donations of bric-a-brac they're looking for shoes they're looking for furniture and they are looking for uh, books and you can pop into uh, Aurora there at St Joseph's Road uh, in Mallow uh, up just a little bit if you know for people who don't know Mallow if you know what the gallery bar is at the lower end of Mallows, just up that road up St Joseph's Road there and they're across the road from the gallery bar and uh, a restaurant fabulous, fabulous shop but if you have any donations any clothes having a bit of a clean out any bric-a-brac any shoes, furniture and books because not every charity shop takes books so there's one that is uh, is taking bo- books and if you contact them directly as well they're really good about if you've got larger items of furniture say that you want to get rid of they'll organise to have a from you as well. So good luck to everybody there. As I say they are a fantastic charity shop. We were talking about the price of petrol and transportation in the last hour with AA Ireland. John said transportation has become the new problem and a big problem. He reckons this is globally because goods are being transported across the ocean in in containers uh, etc and there's much more movement of goods and obviously that's having a massive impact on fuel and on the cost of fuel and hence the reason why fuel costs are going up all of the time and fuel costs in particular was something that we we, de- we dealt with when we spoke with AA Ireland and actually one of our listeners Heidi uh, says on the price of petrol uh, she's talking about the fact that diesel prices in Spain and Austria much cheaper than they are here in Spain The litre of diesel, 98 cents, 96 cents in Austria. Whereas if you're in good old America, you can get the price of a litre of diesel for 60, the equivalent of 68 cents in this country. We are paying such a huge, huge, huge amount. But of course, as Paddy from the AA said, the reason for it is the amount of money. What did he give us the percentages? We pay 64 percent on every litre of petrol goes straight to the government and on diesel it's 59% so and that's why petrol and diesel is so cheap in the States and if you speak to any Americans they're always astounded when they come to this country and realise how much we pay for our fuel because they don't have anything I don't know if they've got any taxes at all are they just literally paying what is the price of crude oil so it's influenced by how much it is on the world market and I'm, I'm nearly sure in America that's, that's, that's what the way it is but it's so much cheaper than it is uh, he- here and Heidi he said just on another thought on this whole rising costs of uh, fuel prices it will also mean everything that comes by road etc all of our products to all of our shops uh, will all go up and remember in West Cork where Heidi lives no rail network so we don't have any choice it's not a case if we can say I'll leave the car at home and I'll take the train They don't have the choice and everything that physically gets delivered then into an area that doesn't have a railway line has to come in by road. It does seem very, very unfair. And another listener is citing, now I'm not going to say the name of the village because it's the, I know the village and it's the only petrol station. So we'd be naming the petrol station here and that's a little bit unfair. But somebody's saying, when you're talking about the price of petrol, petrol in my local Petrol station is at one euro fifty four point nine, so nearly nearly one euro fifty five cent per litre, and the average. The n- national price that paddy gave us from the aa uh, was 146 so it's uh, 8 cent more per liter in one village now in it's in the garages defence they buy in at a certain price any garage owner and i am tired of trying to get this point across to people but any garage owner will tell you they make more profit on you going in and buying a cup of coffee with your petrol or your diesel than what they do with the pumps uh, there's very little markup made to the garage owner and then they have to buy in at whatever price and as Paddy was explaining it has been rising month on month on the world the barrel of the price of oil has been going up month on month and then that's before you ever look at 64% being added onto the petrol by the government so I mean the garage's hands really are tied they have to sell it at the price that it that they buy it in at eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. What else is coming into us on uh, a lot of WhatsApps? In uh, hi Patricia, this is a WhatsApp in from Germany. Hope you are well. Just listening uh, to your show. Thank you for your kind of comments on the show uh, about negative testing. Oh, this is due to antigen testing. Antigen, antigen testing must be brought in for indoor dining in Ireland. Otherwise, it's unfair that only vaccinated people or those who've recovered from COVID will be allowed to go in. It has worked into indoor dining. It has worked in other countries. You get a negative uh, test no older than 48 hours before you want to go in to dine or wherever it is you want to go in and it works. My God these business people have only got a few weeks of the summer left to make any kind of euro. They should be allowed to have as many people in as they can. Will the Irish government get going and agree on this? A lot of younger people are not vaccinated and won't be vaccinated until the end of the summer. Also these test sites. We should be having Covid testing sites in every local car park, wherever there's a big shop, be it Giraldi, your Lidl, your test your Duns, your Super Value, every single town has one of these supermarkets we should also have a testing site. It would be safer than people having to drive long distance to go to a test centre, particularly if they have uh, symptoms. That's how it's worked here in Germany where I live and it's, it's great and it is working really well. On a positive, it is great to see That my home country of Ireland is reopening but the map was not very well. The road map out of this I feel has not been very well planned out again. Will they rush this out? Rushing legislation through this week just because the government are off on their holidays at the end of the week Stay safe Ireland. Enjoy the indoor dining and the other reopenings but please be careful. COVID-19 is still around and it will be for a bit more and that's from the Corkman in Germany who's enjoying the show. Thank you for that. Fifty three, three three one zero three. 333 103 You can see some questions coming in for Annalise. Can you keep those coming please or you can text our WhatsApp questions for Annalise to 103
4: 103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app A Cork County Council initiative The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork
2: Kildallery Community Development they've got their weekly lottery draw that's on next Thursday 4 o'clock in the afternoon their jackpot this week is 2,400 euro and a raffle to raise funds for Marymount Hospital and Hospice in memory of Noreen Keller uh, will be held this coming Friday which would be Noreen's or is Noreen's second anniversary tickets are 10 euro each you can get a book of five for 60 euro and they're available online at idonate.ie forward slash raffle forward slash Noreen Keller. And Knocknagree Community Development Group, they've got a drive-in bingo next Sunday in the village. The jackpot will be €400 Euro, and you're asked to arrive at 12.30pm for a 1pm start.
6: Court Today on C103
4: With Sean Cusack Insurances as Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: Just by the way on a thing, as we've been talking about electric cars and talking about we know there's a push by the government to get more people to buy electric cars. Valerie uh, says I was going to purchase as is my email I was going to purchase a new electric car recently and I was veering towards an electric hybrid to my amazement the grant of 5,000 euro has been reduced to €2,500 Euro since the 1st of July. We have Eamon Ryan pushing everyone to go green and this is what the government does to help it along. So we checked it out saying, Whoa, how did that happen? And seemingly on the 1st of April, and it wasn't an April Fool's Day joke, can I say, the Department of Transport announced that from the 1st of July 2021, the value of the purchase grant for plug-in hybrid electric cars will change from €5,000 Euro to €2,500. Euro. They halved it. Isn't that incredible? And that's from the Department of uh, Transport. Thank you for that, uh, Valerie. Yeah, and it, you would think it's the other way it would be going, that they would be incentivising more people to buy uh, electric and that will certainly turn some people off actually buying an electric car. And then Anne wants to know, has this happened to anybody else? Anne said, I got back my medical card. It's got a different number on it to the number I've had for years the date of birth is correct. So it is, it is, the medical card is for me and everything. Else. All the other details are OK. But the number, because the number always remains uh, the same. Anne wants to know, has that happened to anybody else? Has anybody else recently got a renewal of their medical card, got a new medical card, and there's a different number uh, on it? You'd want to make sure that your doctor is aware of that as well, And Thank you for that. And then on the COVID certificates, a Killarney listener says, Patricia, regarding the issue of COVID-19 vaccine certs, my preference to receive my search by post, is there somewhere to contact? Because I registered for my vaccine using my email as well as my postal details and that's from a Killarney listener. Now if you went to a vaccination centre then you will be getting your COVID certificate by email but as if you went and got your vaccine through your GP then you'll be getting it through the post but I wouldn't worry because if you do and I don't know whether you got your vaccine at a vaccine centre but if you did your certificate will arrive say it arrives by email all you have to do then is print it off so that you have a paper copy of it as well because they accept that when they send it out by email there'll be a QR code on it and they're asking people to put the QR code then to obviously there'll be an app that you'll download and you'll put it onto your smartphone but not everybody is going to have a smartphone and actually what they're saying to people if you don't have a smartphone and you get your your EU digital covert cert either by email or by Post, they're actually suggesting to people that you take a photograph of this dessert and carry it, have it on your phone then when you get to the airport. But they are also advising to keep a printed copy in the event that there's an issue with the image. And I can tell you now, I know from myself and Hubby, we went through vaccination centres, so we'll be receiving ours certainly by email. Unsure whether marshes will arrive by post or not, but I certainly would put it onto our smartphones so that, you know. If whenever we are travelling we'll have it on our phones but I'm telling you I will also have a printed copy with me for when I get to the airport just in case something goes wrong with your phone and the battery dies or you lose your phone or anything could go wrong with your phone so I certainly will have a printed copy with me as well so to that listener in who's worried about saying that she'd prefer a printed copy than having it by email once you get the email if that's the way it is sent out to you you can simply print off the email so you'll have it you'll have a printed copy copy with you as well but the advice the best advice says that you put it onto your smartphone so that when you're travelling, a little bit like most of us in the last number of years when we travelled anywhere, your boarding pass was on your phone as well as it's going to be. It's just for speed uh, to get through the airport I think is is what they are, is the reason why they are suggesting it. And then somebody says, Patricia, the other way of getting your COVID certificate if you haven't been vaccinated are for people who have fully recovered. How will they know if you fully recovered. If you didn't go for a test and you just took to the bed, what proof will they need? Well, you can't. You're, you're certainly not going to get a COVID digital c- certificate by going in and saying I had it a number of months ago, because I don't think they're testing people for unless they can run a test where they can test you for antibodies. So, failing that, I would say negative PCR test. Because remember, you can also get it. You can also get a digital COVID certificate by having a negative PCR test done so I would imagine that's what you're going to have to do but you're going to have to pay for that there will be a cost involved because you'll have to get that test done privately and every time you need to use the cert you're going to have to get another test done so that would be a bit costly for you but you can't just simply go and say I had COVID and I just took to the bed bed. you're going to have to uh, they're going to have to know that you got the test done and that you did actually have COVID-19. And then Denise said, Patricia, listening to your piece about the Mallow Swimming Pool and these communal swimming pools, changing rooms and people, some, some listeners are a little bit worried about it. Uh, Denise has said the changing area would probably be the same as places such as Dunmanway Swimming Pool which is fabulous. Some people may be also familiar with Trabalgan in, in East Cork. The area would have individual cubicles but they can be used by either male or females. That's why they're known as communal spaces. They usually have one or two large family cubicles also and many pools have both male and female dressing rooms as well. So everyone is catered for so I tell people they don't. People are worrying I think unnecessarily and thinking everyone's just going to be in a room together. It's not. The individual cubicles will be there. And an email that I received that signed, love a very happy Kerry listener and this made me smile. And when I buzzed out to John Paul to say, look at the WhatsApp. I'm just after getting in. This is from our listener that we were helping out last week who was trying to get a vaccine and was being sent all over the country. Remember was getting vaccine, was asked to go to Dublin, was asked to go to Wexford and wanted to get vaccinated locally. Listener says, just got a call there to tell me to go to Killarney for my vaccine. Thank you, you and John Paul and everyone on your team that helped out. I am so grateful. I was starting to panic. They were sending me all over the country, wishing you all the best of health and happiness. Signed a very happy Kerry listener. Delighted for you in and uh, well done, well done. And glad to know that sense has prevailed. Even though, in fairness to the HSC, as soon as we alerted them to what was going on here with this particular listener and passed on all of the details, it is all computer generated. It wasn't somebody at who was sitting at a computer going I'm going to send this Kerry listener up to Mayo for her vaccination and then I'll send her to Dublin next. It's generated by the computer and we all know computers can make mistakes every now and again and when it was pointed out they got working on it straight away so well done and happy, happy to hear that and thank you for your kind thoughts 1850 333 103 questions for Annalise please our nutritional therapist or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103
4: Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance,
2: cmig.ie.
4: This is the Cork Today replay on C103
2: we're off to the health hub times square in balancolic where i'm joined by annalise to nutritional therapist good afternoon to you annalise good afternoon and you're very welcome to the program let's get straight in with questions dan has been on he has recently had a test done for his psa blood test which is for prostate and they've come in at seven which is deemed high any cure to bring them back down
6: Yes, so the natural treatment for elevated PSA and just for protection of prostate in general, Patricia, which actually, generally as men get older, their PSA will rise, and uh, most people are symptomless. In actual fact, they recommend that, you know, People don't get biopsies or anything done at an earlier stage because often the biopsy themselves can cause problems. So, and if there is anything sinister with the prostate, it's so slow developing that, you know, it can take 20, 30 years for anything to manifest. So it means that there's loads of time for natural treatment and the natural approach. And the most common ones that would be used is a herb called saw palmetto. You'll get it in any health store. And another great extract as well is of the pumpkin seed. So if you can get a product that combines saw palmetto and pumpkin seed and take it daily as a prevention, that's very, very good. It prevents the conversion um, of testosterone to the one that causes the swelling of the prostate and that causes the elevation levels of the PSA. So it'll help bring them down. You need to give yourself probably two to three months to before you'd go back and get tested again just to make sure that it's working. And there's lots of different combo ones that you'll get in health stores. So go in with your medication list, speak to your health store and they'll come up with the right one.
2: Okay, Chris says question for Annalise uh, please I want to come off a drug called prolia. I've just googled it and it's for it's a steroid for osteoporosis um, I, it can cause problems with tooth extractions is there any natural product I can take instead
6: So what Prolia does, Patricia, is it prevents the breakdown of bone. So our bones, we think our bones are um, actually static, but they're not. They remodel themselves. Actually, within every seven years, your whole skeleton has nearly been remodeled. So we have cells that are continuously breaking down old bits of bone and cells that are building up with new bits of bone. So the prolia prevents the breakdown of bone, but really what you're looking for is to make sure that the cells that are building bone are have everything they need to do that. So a good bone complex, and the latest research is showing that there is a particular form of calcium called algacal, A-L-G-A-E-C-A-L. Now it's a patented one, it comes from algae. And this has been shown to be really, really good for building strong and healthy bone, much more so than the ordinary calcium that you get in your calci chew and those which is calcium carbonate, that's just chalk. So algae cal is very important, taking vitamin D3 very important. Vitamin K2 is really another one, very important one, Patricia, because what this does is it helps the calcium get onto the bone, so those little cells that are building bone, it supports them. And it also prevents hardening of the calcium in arteries. So if you've got a bit of cholesterol buildup and you've too much calcium, that calcium can harden the arteries so and form the plaque, and this is what causes narrowing. So vitamin K2 can prevent that, and then vitamin C is another lovely one as well. Vitamin C helps to build the collagen matrix that bone is laid down on, so the bone isn't brittle. it it gets a lovely elastic build-up so that if you bash it, it's not going to shatter. So one of my favourite bone supplements that has everything in there is by Nature's Plus, and it's called Garden Bone Support. And it's got all of the things that I mentioned there, plus a few other nice bits in there. Um, There's another very good one. There's a couple of very good ones, if you can't get your hands on that. Um, There is one by BioCare called Osteoplex, now it doesn't have the allergy cal, but it's still got a lot of other good things in there. Um so either of those, but if you can if you've got off to your process, I would definitely recommend the bone support. It's expensive but it's it's really superb quality.
2: Okay, here's a text in from a listener saying, What's a good tonic for somebody grieving to boost the system? Unfortunately there's nothing out there to mend a broken heart, but something to try and boost the system.
6: Yeah, so Patricia it's a very stressful this experience grieving you know um you're constantly you know that horrible feeling that you have in your stomach and uh, and that upset is means that your body is releasing a lot of adrenaline and your stress hormones so actually the best tonic for grieving is something to support you after stress i love ashwagandha i see such good results with it here in the shop it's um it's called um it's an indian herb and it's spelled a-S-H-W-A-G-H-A-N-D-A, ashwagandha. Um, you can get it in combination with a lot of other nice herbs as well, like rhodiola is a lovely gentle herb for helping support your body through stress. Viridian do a really nice blend, which is called Enhanced Rhodiola Complex, and that has got the rhodiola ashwagandha. It's a little bit of shizandra in there in ginseng, and that, again, is great for supporting the body through stress and then if you find that it's you're you know you're anxious or you find it difficult to sleep cannabis oil can work within 10-15 minutes just to help you feel a lot calmer now the cannabis oil that we sell in ireland has zero percent thc in there so you don't have to worry about getting stoned you don't have to worry about getting addicted you could take it and you could get into a car and drive it so it's non-addictive and i find it great We all use it in our family, from my parents all the way down to my niece who did her driving test last week. Mm -hmm. We all take it um, because it just works so quickly and is very gentle. It just takes the edge off any feeling of upset or anxiety.
2: Did she pass? She passed. Yes, she passed. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Okay. Hi, my mother is suffering badly for the last three weeks with shingles. Could Annalise advise on a remedy, please? Oh, it's very painful,
6: Patricia. So, with shingles, you've got um, inflammation of the nerve. Um, And it kind of manifests in very painful sort of skin. It feels like pins and needles on fire burning. Uh, Very painful. Plus as well, you'd be absolutely exhausted from shingles. So what I nearly always recommend for shingles or recovering from shingles is um, the Source of Life Gold as a tonic to give you a bit of a boost. Um, And that will give you all of your nutrients plus a little bit of ginseng for energy. Olive leaf extract is wonderful as a natural antiviral So you can get that in a liquid, or you can get it in um, tablets. Liquid is better. Comvita or a company that do a lovely one. And then finally, if you're if you're experiencing that terrible pain, maybe lysine could help. Lysine is an amino acid, and it's often very good for um, people. Actually, would be very familiar for using it for cold sores. So L lysine, what you want to take is about one thousand milligrams, and I take that six times a day if you've got shingles pain while you've got the shingles paid.
2: Okay, Michael says, Hi Annelise, I was rushing lately and I used my father's razor instead of my own and I've ended up with markings on my face. Anything to get rid of it? I imagine some kind of a rash has broken out.
7: Yeah, I
6: suppose the best thing to do really Patricia now is just to avoid using any kind of um, uh, strong chemicals on the face. just be careful that you haven't picked up some kind of a skin infection. Uh, the, I would just, in terms of moisturizing, I think I'd probably be very gentle with it. If you've got olive oil at home, that's a great one for moisturizing. And it's actually very, it can help you shave as well. Um, a lot of people use a shave oil as opposed to a shaving foam, which I, would again, would avoid the shaving foam at the moment because of all the strong soaps and chemicals. The Dr. Dealish Care Healing Cream is very good for irritated skin. Uh, It's very, very gentle. She also does an irritated skin cream, which is brilliant. And if you were worried about it being infected, I think you could just, it might sting a little bit, but if you just wipe it down with maybe some boiled water with salt dissolved in it,
2: just to... Give it a good clean, Clear out any, any yeah. infection. Uh, Siobhan is suffering from dry skin. She has spent a fortune on creams, including some really expensive ones, but nothing seems to be working. Any cure for excessive dry skin on her face?
6: Okay, so Patricia, if this, just on the face, then I always question, are you using a product that you're reacting to that is stripping the oils from your face? So a lot of these, I always remember years ago, thinking Clinique was great as a teenager for yeah, uh, yeah. For, for skin, and it actually used to, it used to strip my skin so badly, it was very irritating. So it's about what is suitable for your skin. So I would pare back any kind of um, face products, and I would use the most the most gentle kind, based face products possible. So in here we love the um, the BioSkin which is really moisturizing. There's some omega 7 oils in there. You can get a face wash and you can also get um, a, a derma spray. It's called BioSkin Derma Spray and it is so beautifully um, soothing and moisturizing for very dry skin. But more importantly you need to take the fats from the inside. So I would recommend taking a fish oil supplement that's good omega 7 in there sorry, omega-3 in there, uh, or maybe sea C-buckthorn supplement that has omega-7, which is always really good for skin. So you'll get these in any pharmacy or health shop. But when you're looking at skin, you want something that has a lot of DHA in it. So just make sure if you're buying one that it's got at least 300 milligrams of DHA in there for skin, and you'll notice the difference after about four weeks.
2: Uh, Hannah says what is the best yoghurt to use should I be going for something that has the word bio written on it should I be going for full fat low fat advice please on purchasing yoghurt yeah so
6: Patricia I have taken yoghurt at the back of my fridge that has been two months old and I have (laughs) eaten it because there's obviously nothing in it so a good yoghurt really should have plenty live bacteria in there so live is a great thing to look out for and I'm always a big fan of full fat Um, I think that sometimes with the low-fat they add a lot of um, fillers and sugars and other things that shouldn't be in a yogurt in order to try and give it a good mouthfeel. So go for a proper full-fat yogurt. Um, Personally, I prefer the natural ones, Patricia, and I like to add in my own things then, my own pieces of fruit or a drizzle of honey because there's a lot of sugar has been added to most yogurts that have fruit in there. So go for that, look for live. But if you can make your own, which is really, really easy, to do that is absolutely the best, or if you can get it at a farmer's market, where it hasn't been, um, it hasn't been too heavily pasteurised. Because the more pasteurised it is, the more bacteria they kill, and it's actually the bacteria is what we want in the yogurt. Um, the only, I mean, it's good for calcium and protein, but really, it's the bacteria that is good for our guts, and that's the big health giving thing. So, live, or try and get it in a farmer's market.
2: See I love natural yoghurt I don't have to add anything to it i kind of oh. weird I love the taste of it I love the taste of it yeah. as
6: well Patricia yeah. Absolutely And I love it in cooking I so find do I? it's much lighter Than using cream yeah. Well. And, yeah, And
2: I love to put it on I love that hot and cold If I've got a curry I love to put oh, cold absolutely. Natural yoghurt And, and oh. have it mm.
6: Rhubarb cooked with honey This time of the year Now the rhubarb's coming back Into season So rhubarb Cooked with a bit of uh, with a bit of honey and then drizzled with yogurt. Delicious. I
2: have never tried that. That's that's one I'm going to add to my list. Okay, Anne says, could you ask Annalise, please? Is there any good curcumin supplement that is cheaper than most? There's two of us in the household on it, and it's working out quite expensive. We're currently taking is it Nutrent curcumin, and it's twenty eight euro for sixty capsules.
6: Yes, and actually that's one that I have here, Patricia. It's a very good one, um, and you see it's a. It's a difficult thing, really. You do get what you pay for. So if you take um, a cheap one, it's possibly going to be much lower in strength. Now, that might be good enough for your uh, your own requirements. So unless maybe, you know, if you wanted to just be sure you were taking something um, and you didn't have bad inflammation, I know there's a company called Together. They're um, a nice company, actually. They do very, very good value supplements, um, but they're packaged in a kind of a... Uh, cardboardy pack as opposed to plastic and glass so they're much cheaper and they do a curcumin extract you get um, 30 tablets for 12 euros but then again that's probably possibly almost working out at the same price as mm. the new trend one which I have here for 26.50 now you can also get um, turmeric which isn't the extract it isn't the curcumin um, but there is a company called Taka and they do the turmeric. It's the whole powder as opposed to the extract but you get 120 capsules for about 18 quid so that is very very good value but again the curcumin extract is probably anything between 10 to 15 times stronger than the turmeric so you're getting a bigger bang for your buck there
2: okay and finally any recommendations for good eye health in general for somebody suffering from dry eye Okay, so dry eye is very common, actually, Patricia.
6: And the the um, the, the first thing I always recommend is a fish oil, omega three, because you know what? I myself, I'm useless for eating fish. I just don't eat oily fish enough, and we do we are deficient in our most of our diets. Um, so the omega three are lovely, especially ones that are high in DHA, because they, those fats actually form part of the membrane and they make it beautifully sort of supple and flexible and fluid. So it's brilliant for you know, making sure signals get through cells, for example, insulin and other hormones. But when it comes to, you know, eyes and skin, it makes your, your, it hydrates your skin and your eyes beautifully and kind of waterproofs them as such. So I know there is um, a company called Optase. They do a very good, and very reasonably priced fish oil supplement with the DHA um, omega-3 in there. Um, I love myself the Unocardio. We've sold it for years here in the shop. It's got vitamin D in there, and it's a very high of both the DHA for the eyes, but EPA, which is brilliant for heart health, anti-inflammatory. So that's another good one. But any good fish oil with DHA in there is uh, is the best for dry eye. And then in the meantime, you can use things like... Um, the Dr. Vogel does lovely eye drops one of them has bright, eye bright the herb in there and that's very very soothing if your eyes are very red and gritty and irritated from dryness
2: And there is nothing worse, there is nothing worse than that feeling. Okay listen have a great week and we'll chat again next Monday Annalise, thank you for that That's, for sure. that's uh, Annalise uh, Giselle of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic, you can also uh, access her online at the healthhubstore.com and as always in the afternoon following her slot she will put up a link as heard on the radio Uh, because we appreciate everyone's unable to take down all of the information as Annalise is going through all of the various answers that she's giving to the questions. And John Paul also uh, puts it up on C103 as a separate podcast that goes up in the afternoon. Now, before we go, Jar was on listening to the listener who got their new medical card and there's a new number on it and she's kind of scratching her head saying that's never happened before. Ger says I also got my medical card renewed and when it arrived it also had a new number. Tell that lady that she doesn't have to do anything about it. They notify the GP practice so you have nothing to do at all but the numbers are changing. Thank you for that. And um, we spoke about the asylum seekers uh, being given a week's notice to move from McCroom. Uh, Micah said it's pure criminal what has been done to those poor families in McCroom. My God have and some of those poor souls already suffered enough in the hands of people in power or seeking power something that they will never in their lives get over the civil servants have some questions to answer sending them from Cork to Donegal is like sending them to another country Uh, could somebody in their delayed wisdom stop this wave of insanity please while somebody else took a very different view on it a skull listener and says God bless them aren't they lucky to be getting a home with their own apartment it was only ever going to be temporary the hotel in McCroom for asylum seekers. But that's the point that Shidani Duel made. If it was only ever meant to be temporary, why leave them there for two years? Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10.
4: Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.